Welcome to This Is Growth, the podcast where we chat to incredible people about how they built and are building successful careers in technology. Today, we are going to chat to Maggie Bomzi. Maggie is a senior manager at HubSpot, leading the customer success team in the Benelux region. Uh, Maggie is also a dear friend of mine. She is one of the most fun people I know, and I was so delighted to have her here. She's so vulnerable about her journey and into management. Uh, in fact, her career is quite interesting because she went into management pretty early in her first job and then went back to being an individual contributor before going back into management. So you will hear from Maggie about her own journey, about the lessons, about the times that she failed. Oh my God, she's so vulnerable about her failures in interviews. She talks about jobs she didn't get um, and how it helped her become more resilient. This is a great conversation and I am so, so excited to share it with you. Hi, Maggie. So great to have you here. How are you? Uh -huh. It is great to be here, Daphne. Maggie, I start this podcast asking the same questions to everybody. So I kick us off with, what does grow mean to you? Yeah, so for me, growing is just about getting a little bit better every day. I was a swimmer in high school and I was terrible at it, but I always tried to beat my time by a couple of seconds. And I say a couple of seconds because I did the longer races um, <laughs> where you didn't have to go as fast. Again, I was not a good swimmer, but it's all about getting getting better every day, growing into the person that you want to be and growing in the direction that you choose. And sometimes I think like growth is going to happen naturally. And so you've got to kind of put your own steer on it to make sure that you're growing in the right way. Yeah, I think that idea of being better than what you were yesterday and the only competition is you, it's such a helpful one because it still keeps your spirit of having that competition, but it doesn't actually put you in a situation where you're comparing yourself to other people that can be quite toxic. Yeah, I love winning. It's a big part of <laughs> so who do I, I am. I, yeah. I, I am competitive, but at the end of the day, like the competition with myself is all that matters because the games are always changing the rules may or may not be fair situationally there might be something going on and so yeah I have worked really hard in my life to not care what other people think of me I care about my perception I think that is a part of career growth but I march to the beat of my own drum I care about what I'm doing what I can control um, and I have found that the results just follow Awesome. Um, and Maggie, um, how did you get to where you are today? Did you always know you wanted to be in management? Did you always know you wanted to be in customer success? Yeah, I kind of fell into it. So I always knew that I loved people, um, but I didn't really know that I wanted to go into customer success initially. When I was in college, I thought I wanted to be the CEO of Barbie. Uh, I did half business, half like early childhood education. And after my first early childhood course, I decided to completely drop that. It, it really was not for me. And so I, on the business side, I started taking more and more classes and 
uh, one of my professors was teaching social media and she brought in CEOs from all sorts of agencies around New Orleans at the time. And there was one that really, really resonated with me with how he talked about the customer and the the buyer's journey online and, and all of that good stuff. And so uh, it was really competitive to get a job at the time. So I worked up the courage uh, and my professor encouraged encouraged me to tweet him like what's a girl got to do to get an interview at this agency and so I ended up in an interview process with like seven people that were real full-time adults looking for full-time work (laughs) and I was a college student just hoping for some sort of part-time or internship type thing and uh, after all that I ended up getting a job created for me and they created that job in the account management department. So uh, customer success was kind of built for me. I just, I fell into it and I'm determined. So I think any role I'll get in, I'll do well in. Uh, But I really, really liked working for account managers, customer success managers. They're, They're my type of people. They're really helpful. They care about they care about others. They care about the success of others. And that really, really has resonated with me over the years. Uh, and then in getting into management, I grew really fast at that agency. I think within three months of being a full-time employee, I became a, a manager. And I was like 20 years old. I was way too young, so inexperienced. And I uh, don't think I was a good manager. Hopefully I had some good moments, but I was not ready to be in the spot where I was. So then I interviewed at HubSpot and got the job as an IC, which I think was really, really important for me to to get experience. So I was a CSM at HubSpot for four years and then moved into management uh, over two years ago uh, at this point. And that was a journey as well that we can get into yeah. later because it was it was definitely not an easy journey. I, you know, coming to HubSpot, you're surrounded by ambitious people, top performers. You have to be on your A game. So uh, I talked about, you know, competing with yourself. Not only was I competing with myself, but I was competing with some really, really uh, rock star, rock star people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was difficult. Yeah, that's great. Well, first of all, it's nice to know that Maggie Bomsey has always been ballsy. Uh, <laughs> so like going in and tweeting the CEO of a company, uh, asking for an interview, like that's just so cool. You know, like most people would actually wait until there's a role on the website and they, they will apply. And I think I'm a huge fan of people that build their own opportunities. And uh, yeah, congratulations for being ballsy. <laughs> I know you're still ballsy. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I'm still a little shocked at myself that I did, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, it's 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 great to hear. I mean, you know, you you getting into like the customer facing um, side of the organ, kind of falling in love with that and knowing that like, OK, this is my people and I, I like doing this. It's it's nice having that ability, knowing that you're in the right path. Um, and uh, yeah, you talked about like go, going deep into like the, the journey into management. We definitely want to get into that. Before I ask you that question, um, talk to us about your education. So you went to business school? Yep, I went to Tulane undergrad uh, in New Orleans, which was really a great time. I think New Orleans helped shape me. I'm from a small town in Ohio and New Orleans helped me see that the world was a lot bigger than I originally thought mm. it was. And 
uh, also taught me to have fun. So I, if you've ever worked on a team with me, I hope you can feel that I'm injecting myself, my attitude. I was always a pretty positive and optimistic person, but uh, yeah, New Orleans taught me not to take everything so seriously in life that it's, it's meant to be fun, including work. That's so great. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's dive into your management career. You got into management early in that agency. How was that? Like, you know, first time being a manager is difficult, but I can only imagine what it is to be a manager so young and also in a small company. Yeah, I think in a small company, it was tough. There's a lot of stuff to get done, but there wasn't a whole lot of trust and you really had to like row in a certain direction there was uh, I'd say a lot of control over what they expected out of the managers there and so I think it was it was a good experience but I didn't have a lot of autonomy to run a team how I saw fit or to change things or or do something else you know contrasted to HubSpot I feel like they have so much trust in their people. And I think it comes back to a lot of those heart values of like they hire remarkable, humble people that are also adaptable and they're transparent. So at HubSpot, I feel like I've got a really, really clear understanding of the mission and the vision. And I've got the trust of leadership to, they don't care how I do it, but Mm -hmm. how am I going to further that mission and vision? And so I think at HubSpot, there's just a lot more autonomy. And so on big teams, you can kind of figure out, okay, what's the best way to manage this? And, you know, luckily enough in EMEA, uh, I manage the Benelux region. And so I am, you know, the sole sole success person in charge of that region. And so I get to really figure out what's best for it. And again, like run plays that make sense for my team. And so I think it just, there's a lot more autonomy um, in a large organization, which might not seem like the case, actually. I, I would have probably assumed differently, but in a in a small org, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to go outside of the green. Yeah. Yeah, that autonomy is an is a interesting one. I personally value autonomy, like, fairly highly. Um, like you, I love being able to run plays, to be able to make decisions based on information that I have, um, and not be waiting for 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 people. I always say, um, in my previous role, we were acquired by a huge, huge company, and with that came um, a lot of red tape. And that is one of the things that drove me to look for other opportunities was the fact that I felt like I was never moving stuff forward. Um, and in HubSpot is almost the, is almost the opposite. Like it, you feel like you are always going forward. Um, I, think, I think there has to be a sweet spot because I'm thinking back to this other company and because it was so small, everyone wanted to be involved in every decision. And as a manager, you had almost no decision-making power. I didn't get to be the deciding hiring manager. I would do interviews, but somebody else would decide who we were going to hire because everyone in the company wanted a say in mm. everything. So I think there's probably a sweet spot between uh, where everyone needs to be involved in every single decision yeah. and where no decisions can get made because there's so much red tape and no autonomy or trust. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fine balance. It's so, such a fine balance, and in I think the trust piece that you talked about at the very start, when when you have that trust on your team members, the company trusts the managers. Like 
all, all of that trust means that people are able to do their best work in the way that suits them uh, and their team and their circumstance. Um, so I think that flexibility, it's, it's all really based on trust. Yeah, and I think that's why it was really important for me to go back into an IC role after I had done management for a little bit because I needed to build that trust with myself to know that I've experienced more things, more escalations, more tricky customers, more save stories, growth stories, um, just getting more experience like presenting and even doing book of business management, that type of stuff that uh, means I can coach people through those scenarios because I've I've lived them before. So I just got, I think I in being an IC, I was able to become a better manager eventually because I had just seen seen more that my people would go through. Yeah, uh, my a lot of people talk about like this invisible ceiling for you know once you're an individual contributor, you're trying to get into management and it's so hard. Did you feel like that? Oh, yeah, I really, really felt like, I don't know, I just couldn't do it no matter what I was doing. At the time, that's how I felt. Ultimately, I did get a manager job. And could I have done the job in some of the interviews that I had failed? Like, maybe in one or two of them, sure. If someone was desperate, they could have hired me. And I could have done it, but I wouldn't have been very good at my (laughs) job. And so I think by the time I, you know... I think that ceiling, I think it was just at different heights, uh, depending Mm. on where you were looking at it from. And I think, yeah, for me, like when I got the job, you know, I feel pretty good. I am a great manager. I hope. Sorry if you're on my team and listening to this. (laughs) If you don't agree, give me the feedback. Tell me how I can be great. I want to hear it. But I think I'm really, really good at my job. And I I would not have been, and I make a load of mistakes still, but I learn from them pretty quickly and can bounce back, and I have the confidence and I know my self-worth now that, you know, had you moved Maggie into management a couple of years prior, I might have struggled through some of those things because management is not an easy job, and if you want to do it, take a good, long, hard look because I love it, But man, sometimes it's not fun at all. Mm, Yeah. And what people need to realize when they're pursuing is that like, it's not because you're a great individual contributor in that team that you'll be a great manager in that team because the job is literally completely different. There is very little about what made you a great IC that will make you a great manager. Um, You talked briefly there about failing, failing for interviews or maybe jobs that you applied earlier on. Can you talk to us about that, like times that that you were pushing for that management job and you weren't successful? Yeah, uh, I think I have my computer screen in front of me and I have documented six times when I have failed interviews and that's Mm -hmm. within HubSpot. The journey to get to HubSpot, I had a lot more failed interviews than that. Um, But I think for me, like, yeah, it was a combination of a couple things. One, I am a bad interviewer. I used to be anyways. I really, someone would ask me, what are my weaknesses? And I would just lay it all out for them of exactly why they shouldn't hire me and confirm all of their doubts. Um, so I think part of it was poor interviewing. And the other part of it was that I didn't have focus. I got to a point, and I feel that this does happen in roles, but like, 
at that two-year mark is kind of that sweet spot where you're you can kind of do some of the job on on autopilot and so you get a little bit bored and I got a little bit desperate of like I don't think I want to be doing this anymore I I really want to get out. I really want to do something different, have a different level of impact on the business. And so I was also a little bit desperate and I was unfocused. So I was applying for things that uh, I know I heard Robbie say he applied for the voice of the customer. I applied for that as well. Again, that was (laughs) way above our pay grade. We had, you know, if I had better business acumen at the time, I would have been able to know that, oh yeah, they don't want uh, uh, ICECSM in that role. Not that I think, you know, I I couldn't have made it what the program is today. If they would have hired me, it would have been a a big mistake. And I didn't make it far in the interviews because of that. But I also was like spread around the product team. I tried different manager roles like within CS. I tried for a manager role within our ISC team. And I would get pretty far in a lot of these. uh, And I just could not close it at the end of the day. And sometimes it was, I think sometimes it was a me thing. Sometimes it was that there are better candidates. And so um, I would try to just like, I think my tip for resiliency is like, take the gift of feedback that you're getting from those interviews. And also it sucks. It sucks when it happens. You're like, Mm. that should have been my job. But if you just like, sit tight, take a deep breath, think about what it is you actually want to do, where you want to go, and what are the things that you need to do to make sure that you crush the next interview. I think that's really important because ultimately, like, I do feel like I got the job at the time when I could do, I could give my best in the job and that was going to be what I needed to succeed. Um, So I think that's really important. It also changes the course of your life. Another big part of my journey was that I got to HubSpot. I had moved to Boston for the role, and I just wasn't in love with the city of Boston. I knew uh, I had traveled a lot at that point, and I knew I wanted to get experience working in another country. So I really was pushing my manager to say, like, I have two two main goals. I want to go into management and I want to live abroad. Um, and so she was an excellent manager and was always connecting me with people. And so she made sure that the people in Ireland knew who Maggie Bomsey was, knew the type of work I was putting out and knew that I was an all-star. Because without that, like without her sponsorship, I don't know if they would have Eventually, they'd have heard of me because I got myself on some top performer slides and whatnot, but uh, I think it would have taken a lot longer had had I not made it known to people that that was something that I wanted. So all of that to answer your question is like when I didn't get the jobs, it sucked in the moment, but in the in the long game of life, I'm exactly where I need to be, uh, kind of mm. living on my dreams here of getting into management in yeah. Ireland. Uh, and so... Yeah, I think the failures aren't fun, but you have to learn as much as you can from them. Take take a moment, figure out, is that what I actually wanted to do? What did I learn from that interview process and what can I what can I improve on? And then like anytime I'm in a difficult situation in my day-to-day job, I ask myself, okay, in an interview, how would I what example do I want to give about this situation? How can I, 
how can I take this hard thing and take the exact steps that I want to be able to showcase in an interview? So that helps me with action in the day to day, but also gives me some really nice stories for an interview later on. Yeah, I I think that that is a is an awesome way to think about it because in interviews you always get the questions about the hairiest, most difficult situations, right? It's the extremes, like times when you had to dif- deal with difficult situations, difficult performance, um, difficult customers, like all of the the hardship is what people want to see. It's how you deal with that. And when you're in the middle of the hardship, you don't you don't realize that you're actually building the stories and the examples that are going to get you to the next level, provided you do the right thing in those situations. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, at one point I was working with customers and I felt myself doing something that I would not be proud to share in an interview. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I changed my course of action. Um, to be a little more self-aware and um, and getting it. The other thing that I did to, you know, in my six failed HubSpot interviews, and I also applied outside of HubSpot in those times because I was I was desperate for a little bit there. I uh, I did so badly that when once I got to Ireland, I had another great manager who recommended that I get an interview coach because we had done a practice interview, and mm. again, I'm just wasn't good. And so, yeah, I hired an interview coach who talked me through uh, a a framework. So HubSpot loves the STAR method, but she uses the CARL method, which is context, action, results, and then the learning or the lesson. So at the end of an answer, I always try to recap like what I learned, how I would do something differently, how I would take what I learned from that and apply it to this situation, which is more applicable to that job. And so uh, that Mm -hmm. framework really, really helped me. And like she gave me practice questions because I felt like in interviews, one thing that made me nervous was like, am I good on my feet? Can I listen to this and pull the best example for that thing? Or sometimes I just panic Mm. and say the totally wrong example that I know the interview is not looking for. And now uh, I I think getting an interview coach, if you're struggling to kind of close the loop on some interviews, but you feel like you have the skills, that is a great a great tip because now that I am interviewing, I see interview pitfalls all the time, you know? Um, and it's, it's really easy to spot once you, once you're in the game to know, okay, you know, when they ask this question, this is what they're looking for. So let me serve that up to them on a silver platter and make sure that they are fully aware that I've got that competency on lock. Yeah. That is, I think is a great tip to get an interview coach. Um, or at least a mentor, right, inside the organization that's like doesn't have a vested interest in the process and can help guide you. So whether it's a manager or a director in a different team who knows the types of questions that the business asks and can actually, you know, give you give you some feedback. But interview coaching, I'm a big fan, big fan of that as well. And I love the Coro method. Uh, I need to look that up. Um, Maggie, if you look back at, at your career, what are the three things that you would say that helped you get prepared with the skills to be where you are today? Yeah, so I think uh, a couple of things. One is like you have to be doing well in your current job. Once I was crushing the role, it made it really, really easy for people around the business to see that like I was serious and that I'm someone that, that should be on their team. So I know that's not 
a skill per se, but look at what skills you need to crush your current role because you just get more eyeballs, more uh, tapping on the shoulder when people know. And when you've shared those goals with your management team, like you get tapped for things that you might not have before. So crush your job. Um, Another thing is find ways to get those skills that you need for the next job. So one thing I did was I mentored within HubSpot. I mentored new CSMs, but I mentored outside of work. I found a program that works with high school students that runs a Shark Tank, Dragon's Den type of competition. So I worked with one team of high school students throughout an entire calendar year. And in the first half of the year, we talked all about like, the business idea, the pitch, we were getting ready to pitch to investors. So I got to work with them on their presentation skills and on their ideas and coaching them to, you know, realize their dreams for this, for this business. And then they actually won money. So they won a thousand dollars and got to run the business in the second half of the year. And so as a mentor, I got to follow through with that. And it's an example that I got to use of, you know, I think in manager interviews, a, a lot of, or a common question is like, um, are you, like what's a time when you were proud of coaching someone and like, boom, there's my answer. It is so good and it's impactful and there's results and it's, it's a meaty answer. And there's a lot of follow-up questions that you can get about like what you did in a certain situation. So I think getting that experience outside of work was really, really helpful for me. Uh, the next thing is just taking advantage of all the learning that, uh, it, your company has to offer. So in HubSpot, I got into HubSpot Fellows, which is like a week-long mini MBA program, which really, really helped me understand the business and decision-making and critical thinking way better. And then I did Emerging Leaders, which is a program that we run in EMEA in customer success, which is all about how do you manage yourself, manage a team, and manage a department. And so I learned a ton of tips just on like self-awareness and coaching. And they gave me a lot of frameworks that, again, I used all of those in interviews. So I also took on like uh, we have skill spot, which is all about developing a skill. So I learned project management because I know as a manager, when you get hired, they want to trust that if they give you something that you can go take it and and figure it out. Um, So that really helped me as well. And then I know that was three things, but I'm going to say a fourth thing because this was really important. And that is like focusing on who I wanted to be and where I wanted to grow was a huge step in getting there because in the past I was like, you know, a bowl of spaghetti that you threw at the wall to see what sticks and (laughs) nothing was sticking. And I just needed more time in the pot. And so once I figured out who I wanted to be, where I wanted to grow and I used, I used a matrix for that. So I used the innovation ambition matrix. And basically that is how businesses think about their budgets. So they've got core adjacent and transformational um, are the three categories there. And so they think about their budgets and like R&D for the products that they want to develop. So a toothpaste company, for example, like their core thing is just they got to make toothpaste. Like that's what they need to be really, really, really Mm. good at. There's a lot of competitors in the space. An adjacent product might be toothbrushes. Yeah, that's like pretty close it you know it makes sense that a toothpaste company would go into toothbrushes and like maybe it extends their market a little bit pushes them a little further and then on the transformational side maybe they want to get into 
I don't know, braces and orthodontics and dental machinery. Uh, and that's a bit of a stretch, right? Like they're going to have to invest a lot of time, money, research. They're going to have to hire a lot of people that know a lot about that. Probably do some brand awareness to get other people, other dentists figuring that out. And so, uh, you know, depending on how the company wants to grow, they'll change the percentage of budget that they put in each of those buckets. And so I think about the same thing just for myself and my skills and competencies. So as a CSM, that was my core role, but I knew management was management of CS was pretty much that adjacent thing. And so I think about, you know, where am I in the role and what percentage can I dedicate to each time? I mentioned that like at that two year mark, you start to feel like you're on autopilot a little bit. Great. Dedicate 40% of your time to the core role, dedicate 40% to the adjacent role and 20% to the transformational stuff that you want to do. If you take control and ownership over your own learning and your own development, like you've, you've got the reins of that. You can determine what percentage and you might need to dial that up or down. There have been times like throughout COVID or when I had just moved jobs where I needed to just focus on what I was doing and I didn't have the energy to focus as much on the adjacent and transformational stuff. Um, so figure out the the right mix for you and doing that is like, I've got a chart here and like doing that is when I was starting on the upward trajectory. So I have written down my goals in the core adjacent and transformational buckets every quarter since 2018. I've missed a couple quarters recently, but uh, I write down my goals so I can see them. I share them with my manager. I share them with my team. So that way they know what I'm focused on. And hopefully they can either help me accomplish those. Or if I am dedicating myself to the wrong things, they can say, hey, love that you're going for this. You know, is this going to get you there to your Mm -hmm. end goal or um is the it does this fit in with the business priorities as well yeah that's so cool maggie i mean i i love frameworks and i think it's always great to have a, a system for thinking um especially i'm a very visual person so i love being able to visualize those things and have them on a slide or have them on a uh, on a document where you can very much like reinforce in your own head that this is what you're doing because i think one of the things is you can build amazing plans but can you execute on the plans that you build and having that that one that understanding but second having the the visual to accompany it and having the frequency to go back and be accountable to it i think it's fantastic now, how do you decide like what, like, okay, so the next row is the adjacent, right? So it's very, maybe quite obvious for, for people who have been, you know, setting goals for their career, et cetera. What about the transformational? Like what is there and how do you, how do you figure that out? Yeah, I, I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. It's, it's difficult because, you know, for so long in my life, I've been like, right, I need to get back into management. I need to live abroad. And now I'm doing those things. So I'm like, oh gosh, I've got to move <laughs> the goalposts. And where do I move them to? So I guess a couple tips is um, talk to people that are in different roles. Like, And if you can't physically talk to people, listen to them. Consume the content they're creating. If they're giving a talk, go to it. See what types mm. of things they're talking about. Um, if you get the chance to be mentored by someone, you know, who's slightly different than you in the organization or outside of it, do that. Um, try to figure out what those things are. Uh, like 
one day I'd like to run my own company. I'd like to be a CEO. So some of my transformational things are really focused on that. So, you know, my transformational goal isn't a smart goal this, this quarter, but I, at this point, just don't have the energy to make it smart if I'm being honest with myself. Uh, But I want to get better at storytelling and building narratives because I think the higher you move up in an organization, the more you're going to need to back up a decision with a story or like Mm. we've been going to a lot of AMAs here at HubSpot. So I think about, okay, if I'm in that leadership role, I've got to, I've got to answer some pretty tough questions that they get. So how do I tell a story around that? So I'm, um, you know, and and I can learn in a lot of different ways. Like I watch a lot of plays and movies and uh, mm. I go to the theater a lot. You know, not that it's inherently making me a better storyteller, but I'm understanding how stories work and what compels me, what doesn't compel me, what are those emotional things, what are the what are the facts? And so I'm trying to learn from that. I'm trying to read books, listen to audiobooks as well to understand what are those narratives that, that people say. Yeah, that's great. I think storytelling is like one of those underrated skills that you need in everything. If you work as a data analyst, you need storytelling. If you work in change management, you need storytelling. If you're a leader, you need it. If you work with customers. Yeah, in customer success, I talk to people all the time about like, let's say you need a favor from the sales team or the product team. If you can paint the picture and really get them invested Mm. in the customer experience and in helping you, like... They're going to help. Uh, I, I I think storytelling is is huge, and I think it just uh, maybe the type of storytelling changes as you move up in the organization. Yeah, I'll do a shameless plug to something that I um, consumed recently. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a master class on storytelling, and that is a fantastic masterclass. I was coming on a plane, a transatlantic plane, and I watched the entire series okay. of the masterclass All on right. the plane. So yeah, if anybody is looking for, for um, a place to start, I think he does that job very well. Um, Maggie, um, I wanted to ask you a question about like what motivates you. I mean, you obviously have an ambitious goal. One day you want to be the CEO of your own business and, you know, being an entrepreneur and that's a, that's a big dream. Um, I know you, I know you're competitive. You're always looking to be the best and, you know, get to the next level. You recently got promoted. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank uh, you. So tell me what motivates you to get out of bed every day? Yeah, I think I've I've got a lot of inherent drive. Like I am ambitious. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this on the podcast, but when I was in first grade, my babysitter was up for the title of Miss Massalonian. It's uh, <laughs> it's a competition in my town for the uh, senior boys and girls in in my town's high school. And in first grade, I decided I want to be Miss Macedonian. And every single thing I did in school, I was the captain of every team I was on. <laughs> I was president of who knows how many clubs. I was like, I was the doer. I wanted to be involved yeah. in everything. I never missed a day of school. I never got a B except for fourth grade science. And I will never forget the scenario of why I got that B um, yeah. back then. And so I think it's just like always been a part of me that I... I want to be the best and uh, yeah. I 
am really, really motivated by that. And a few years ago, I did an exercise where you got a bunch of values and you had to like narrow them down and ended Mm. up like picking five. And so my values are excellence, creativity, security, flexibility, and adventure. And like those really drive me. And like, it makes sense that excellence is at the top. It's something that I value in myself. I value in other people. Um, I value in organizations. Like I mm. love being great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now tell me, how do you, obviously you manage a team. How do you handle and deal with situations when, where this is not important for other people? They don't want to be excellent. Yeah, I really lean into the team side of yeah. things. Like, I, it's okay. Actually, you know, right now there's something happening on my team which is pretty interesting. We're one of the top teams in the business this year, so that feels. Yeah, congratulations. I mean, that's hitting my excellence. It's scratching that excellence itch. But ironically, like none of my team ever wins like one of the top performer awards. You do not see any of my individual contributors on the top performer slide, which I want to change because I want to get there. But it just means that like we really care about the team. Like everyone is rowing and performing at a really solid, steady level. And so Mm. I also have to ask myself like what motivates other people? I'll ask them why. And I, I try to pride myself on giving my team a lot of autonomy. I don't care how they do the job as long as they do it and do it well. Now I have some, you know, bare minimum stuff that is required, but you know, you don't need to manage a book of business the way that I managed it as a CSM. I think there were some good things that you can pull from me and make your own and, you know, put your own style and flair. I'm also, uh, I'm like a type B person trying to masquerade as a type A person. I'm not very organized. I'm like a little bit chaotic. (laughs) I love that that side of things but I think you know as a CSM like you need some organization if you're gonna be good in the job and so I do think everyone has to apply their own style to it but a lot of times if I'm struggling if someone's not being excellent like I'll ask I'll ask myself why I'll ask them why and just I think question asking and deep listening is is what you need to kind of get out of that. And, and also ask why, why do I care about excellence? Why, Mm -hmm. and where do I expect that to show up as well? Yeah. And to shift gears a little bit, um, you know, in the topic of being the best, uh, but at a, at a different level, uh, how about compensation? Like how, how important is money to you? And when you think about compensation, like tell me about your philosophy around that. Yeah. So the number one thing I do is every single manager that I get the very first thing, like that first conversation, you kind of talk about how you like to get feedback and praise. And I make it super clear. I say, if you want to tell me I'm doing a good job, money is the clearest way that you can inform me that you appreciate the work that I do. And I make sure every single manager I have knows that. So that way, when it comes to annual compensation review time, like they know that I care about money and I'm going to really work harder if I get a little bit of stock, a little bit of a uh, percentage bump, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is really important that I do care about money. It motivates me. I love it. We recently moved to variable compensation and, oh, I'm doing the math on the gap to target to get to the next one. Yeah. I was 0.6 off from the higher, <laughs> uh, the higher target this past time, but yeah. 
I have ideas for how we can get better for the next quarter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, so it's something that is really motivating to me. It's important. Um, but it's important to me because like I mentioned my values, like money for me creates the security that I can use to be flexible and adventurous and go do the things I love to travel. And, um, I've, find that the older I get, the more, uh, expensive things that I tend to enjoy as well. Um, and so it's, yeah, for me to live the lifestyle I I want to live and have the freedom to, it's really important to me that I, if I want to do something, I can do it. And so money, I think gives me a lot of that freedom. Um, and then I think it's still a work in progress for my philosophy. Um, I wish I had a better understanding of like, my stock portfolio and like my money goals. I think I'm getting to a point right now where I'm really starting to think about what should be my core Jason and transformational goals for money, because I've just been kind of flying by the seat of my pants so far. And also, you know, having enough money to make sacrifices. So when I came to Dublin, I got a promotion uh, from CSM to strategic account CSM, but I took a pay cut. Um, when I got that promotion coming Mm. to Dublin. And so uh, I had saved really well and built up enough that like I felt comfortable to do that. I also knew like where my dreams were and that like I wanted to live abroad. And so if that meant, you know, I I didn't know I'd be here for as long as I have been here (laughs) or will continue to be here, Um, you know, hopefully one day I move back to the U.S. and I've got financial goals for how much I want to be making when I move back, um, if and when I move back. But uh, I think it's something I still need to codify a little bit better. Yeah, Yeah, I think that financial piece, it takes you, uh, there's a, in my experience, there's this time in your life when you know, you never earn enough to think about those things because you're just starting off your career and then it gets to a point where you start earning enough to care about it, but you don't because you're too busy enjoying the fact that you earn more money. And then once you can settle that and then you can start thinking about, yeah, investments, retirement, how much you put into your pension and yeah, those transformational investments you might want to invest um, in stock or in small businesses or whatever. Like th- yeah. those things are kind of a something that you, the, the older you get, the more you start thinking about them. Yeah, especially I'm, I'm not a homeowner. I'm, I'm renting and that's fine with me. But, oh, I dream about my second house. It's not the first house. Like, I know I'll get that one. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for the second house. Like, oh. The beach house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you could only see my Pinterest boards, Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cool. And Maggie, you're a super energetic person, right? Like you have a contagious uh, positivity. Everybody that knows you, like you come into the office and it's like a light that comes on. Um, so how do you manage your energy? Are you always like this? There are days when you when you struggle a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, somebody in Ireland described me as the most chill, energetic person that they've ever met, uh, <laughs> which I take high praise in. I, you know, I didn't want to come in. I don't know if you've seen the show Emily in Paris. Yes. Um, I did not want to be the the American that's like, woohoo, work. Ha ha ha. Um, so I try to take pride in being that like chill, energetic person. I do love work at the end of the day. Like Mm. I get a lot of purpose and I get money from work. So like (laughs) I, and I get a lot of value from it too. So I, I do really 
love work. I try to do things that bring me joy. I try to inject joy into every piece and part of my day. So in team meetings, like we start every single meeting with an icebreaker. And yeah, sometimes it takes a little bit and we don't get to as many business things as we want, but like we're not in the hallway having hallway chats. And like we, even if we were, I think we would probably still do it because it's something And I mentioned at the beginning, like New Orleans kind of taught me to be, to bring fun into everything. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's really important for me. I think the other thing that's important for like protecting my energy and bringing it is to do things outside of work that like have passions outside of what you do. And so uh, I mentioned I like go to plays a lot. I try to do things that like take my mind off where I can't be thinking about anything else except the task at hand. So uh, sometimes that's like dance classes. I learned how to sew during the pandemic and I've made a couple different garments. And I can tell you that like when I'm focused on getting like the pin in straight and the right stitch, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about motivation. I'm not thinking about anything just like, yeah. you know, I think in yoga, you get a similar thing where you can't really think because you're worried about how to stretch your body into a certain position. Um, so I think doing things that take your mind off of the job, like help me protect my energy. And yeah, I think having good friends and people and like building a network. Again, I'm very, uh, I'm like an ambivert. I'm kind of extrovert, introvert, but I love the people side, but I love that alone time too, mm-hmm. um, where I can have that energy. Uh it's not like that I'm on all the time, but uh, I I try to bring my best self to, I, I care about bringing my best self to work every day. And, yeah. uh, and also this is authentically me. If someone gave me the feedback that like, hey, you need to tone it down and not be as much fun. I don't <laughs> think I would continue in the company because I, I, or I'll listen to the feedback, ask why, and, you know, go through a process in my head of figuring out, yeah. is it valid or can I take it and, you know, file it away in yeah. the in the not useful bin. Um, but it, it's who I am at the end of the day. So I think, you know, if you aren't energetic, that's okay. Like find what you are authentically and, and bring that into your work. Yeah, the authenticity piece is so important. You cannot be a persona for most of your life like you are going there will be a time when you're going to crack if you're pretending to be somebody else every single day whether that is in your job or in your home life you're just not going to be able to do this forever you might be able to do that well for a few years but you're not going to be happy you're not going to build real connections because you're not being authentically yourself and yeah, and it's a recipe for disaster because then you will feel like an imposter. You feel like, um, yeah, just like you don't belong and nobody really knows you. So yeah, authenticity is so, so important. Yeah. And and I know that some people do feel like they have to code switch to get yeah. by and like the world's a tough place, but I think there are places that celebrate people for who they are. And so hopefully if you're feeling like you have to code switch as part of your day, you can find a place where that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great call. Actually, like there are people like the world is a tough place and there are many places that are not accepting to people's true selves. And hopefully we're becoming better. Um, there are pockets of places where people are accepted and celebrated um, and finding those spots 
it's really really should be anybody's priority if you if you're at home thinking i'm not i'm i don't feel like i can be myself in this space your main priority should be finding a place that you could be yourself um maggie to wrap us up um tell me you know Coming from this journey of, you know, I see each manager having those big dreams, wanting to travel the world, like those are all really exciting things. But when you peel it all back and you think about what success means, like if, what would you be happy with? Um, what would you say that is? I think it's about being content, like uh, being satisfied with the things that you have with the things that you're going for like and I think I've got that in a really big way in my life right now where like you know this isn't the life I want to live forever I want to change my salary my role probably my location as well uh, even you know being closer to certain friends or whatever it might be so I think I think it's always changing so I, I don't have a great answer but I think like uh, reflection is something that I know I don't make enough time for, but I think that's really important to figure mm. out, like, am I content? Am I living by my values? Uh, if I'm if I'm unhappy or if I'm feeling unsuccessful, I find it stems back to one of my values, not being present. Um, and so I try to think, think about success. It's like, am I living my values? Have my values changed? Do I need to, you know, rethink this? And yeah, am I, am I content? I think contentness is like, mm. uh, the foundation of happiness. Cause you're going to have good days and bad days. And like, sometimes you're not going to feel like a, a huge success, but if you can get back to that, like zone of contentment, then mm. I think you can grow from there. That reminds me of a quote that I heard that says, I don't know who to attribute it to, but I heard it and it's happiness is peace in motion. How good is that? Nailed it. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Maggie, with that, thank you so much for being here today and sharing so openly, so vulnerably. I am sure that everybody's going to see some value in this podcast. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I had such great laughs with Maggie today. I learned so much from her. If you love this podcast and you want to support it, the best way to do it is to share it. Share with the people you love. Share with the people that you think could see value from this conversation. You can also like and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.